for God's sake, this man cannot remain power. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Well, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Uh, I hope you all have recovered. We were on the road over the weekend uh, with a Senate working group, which was a nice little uh, trip for us. A delightful event. Yeah. The the venue was incredible. It was far nicer than uh, what us gentlemen are are used to. Yeah, it was Greenbrier in West Virginia, which had been a while since I'd been there. But, you know, we take this thing on the road every once in a while. And, boy, what a pleasure that was. It was great. It was you have great. a good time, Smug? Great time. And I love the story of that place. Like, the governor, Jim Justice, owns it. Yeah. And he even rolled up uh, the day before to the uh, Senate Working Group event, brought the dog with him, baby dog. And, like, everyone loves baby dog. I mean, I really, that's the one regret I have is we didn't show up in time to see baby dog. Yeah, I know. We didn't get to see any of that. But apparently it was a huge hit. No, how, I mean, how can you beat that dog? Almost as big a hit as your intemperate comments throughout the entirety of our performance. I love that. Is you know, you fly me into your event. Of course, I'm going to roast everybody there. <laughs> He's like, I was like, okay, this is not being recorded. This is off the record. <laughs> All right, folks, we're, we're going to have a really good time. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of audience participation, making making people awkward. You know, it was it was fantastic. You really brought your A game. I was impressed. You really were. I wanted to sort of haul over the the sponsor list just so you knew that you'd basically tick through the top ten. <laughs> Uh, but either way, we had a great time. Um, and then we came back, obviously uh, watched some basketball over the weekend, got the Oscars, which we will bring Hollywood Hen in to talk about today, uh, and then had to see the remarks from President Biden, which we played at the top. Let's get we'll get into that in, in some detail because uh, yikes, sundown. Yeah, sundown. <laughs> I mean, there's just no way to look around it anymore, is there? Yeah. It's just a tough... It, look, the guy, for whatever his prepared remarks are on a day-to-day basis, he's got nothing. I mean, it is like either he's reading the teleprompter barely, or if he goes off script and creates, like, literally World War Three status. It's incredible. Well, you know, I mean, he's like that... He's old Joe. You know, he's like the family member that's going to embarrass you. Oh. You know, and it's like, oh, don't worry about him. That's just the way he is. I mean, just think about that. Like, at some level in Democratic politics, that's an upgrade from the vice president. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Uh, right. Right. There's this um, one thing else I want to shout out uh, on a related topic um, is that Zeke Miller uh, had this great tweet uh, today. White House yet, uh, last week, the president watched portions of Judge Jackson's hearing yesterday and today. Biden today. I didn't get a chance to see any of it, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, look, this is they have a strong case to cancel the briefing altogether. Right. But for the opposite reason that the Trump White House did, like the Trump White House canceled the, the White House briefings because the president was speaking all of the time and providing you exactly what he thought. Right. About everything. It was like redundant. Right. 
This guy, I think there's a case to be made that you 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 cancel them because or any communication out of the White House because right. it's a it's a national security problem. Right, got to send them back to the basement. <laughs> Just like they got to execute the campaign strategy. So, I mean, that's the thing is like we had years where basically you know, whenever there was a White House uh, uh, press conference, it was a room full of journalists all trying to land a book deal, right? Yeah. They're all trying to throw out these crazy gotcha questions. Trump would navigate it. And, and they would all freak out. They would all flip out yep. over over like the most ridiculous of things. Like if you weren't part of their like little clique trying to ask gotcha questions, they'd leave these like little notes like they did for that one journalist. So like, is what you asked, how did it help fight COVID today? You know, yeah. like, oh. the, the, like, like they're the elected government. It's right. insane. And then now you have a situation where, I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely serious. Like uh, I was, I was watching a ton of the news coverage about this. Like NATO allies are pissed off. They're like, what is going on over there? You need to get this guy in control because he's making statements like these. That's going to be played on loop in Russia and being used as propaganda. Like, see, we told you America wants to destroy us. And now you have it right uh, there. It's just, we're going to get into all of this. Um, it's unbelievable. We've got a, a guest today, Grover Norquist. For those of you who don't know Grover, Grover's like the OG conservative activist, right? He's the guy at some point who figured out early on, and he explains all this, that pressure campaigns work. Right. Right. And before you had like all kinds of different activist groups and, and whatnot, he started the tax pledge, which by and large, I think is, is more responsible for locking Republicans in for not increasing taxes than almost anything else. And so for that alone, the guy is extremely interesting. He's interesting no matter what. I think you're going to get a kick out of that interview. Uh, we got that. Also, uh, Hack Madness. Yeah, so, I mean, we're down to the lead eight. Uh, Joey Brackets over at Fox News, Joseph Wolfson, had a great update. Uh, he put up an article that says, Liberal hack, Sweet 16, Jennifer Rubin slays Keith Olbermann. Joy Behar pummels Colbert among epic clashes. And he's got Brian Stelter. Joy Reid also advanced to Elite Eight while Chris Cuomo was sent back to his basement. <laughs> it's an amazing competition this year. Yeah, so uh, just to quickly break it down, and for folks who haven't been following... We put together a list uh, every year of about 65 hacks. There's a play-in game. And you basically pit these media hacks against each other in Twitter voting. You know, you get thousands and thousands and thousands of votes. Same way as like how March Madness works, but the stakes are much higher. Uh, and now we're down to the final eight. Um, let me run through them real quick. Okay, so we have Brian Stelter. Powerhouse. The potato. Yeah. I mean, a one-time chief won the inaugural. Yeah, Bill Crystal, nice. uh, Matthew Dowd. Wow. Rick yeah. Wilson, Jennifer Rubin, uh, Joy Behar, uh, Joy Reid, and Ibram Kendi. Wow. So, I mean, I'm, that's a very tough field. Th th that's a hell of a field to have. Very it's tough like field. It's like the dream team of hacks. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. You I know? mean, there are some upsets there. I Like, I didn't see Rick Wilson working his way into the this far. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, look, a guy can play. Yeah. guy can play. Um, should we read a couple of five stars to get things going here, fellas? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Smug, you want to start? Sure. Uh, new listener. want to. This is from PTO1298 via Apple Podcasts. Uh, new listener. Want to say, by far, you guys make complex political talk actually enjoyable. And that is a scary superpower. I love it. Thank you so much. I love it. Dunks? Uh, from RF Simmons. Um, I found you fellas while listening to the Megyn Kelly podcast about six or eight months ago and have been a regular listener ever since. 
That's just, you know, that's just the gift that keeps on giving. Totally. Right? Surprising how many of those we get. Love your show, the irreverence, humor, and good perspectives on current events. Keep up the good work. By the way, I'm a grumpy old bastard of yes. 70 years. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and love to recommend you to my grumpy old bastard friends. Oh. I mean, those are my favorite people. The best like, people. That's who I relate to. Well, I mean, that's me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, I, there's a reason why they called me the old man. Yeah. It's not actually my age, but there, it's the way. There's none of us who would feel quite as much at home in some kind of a country club in a 65 plus community as the old man, Michael Duncan. Yes. And that's your home. That's my future, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one is from Bobby D439, The Passage of Time. <laughs> the program helps me so much with the passage of time. Long commutes no longer feel as there they were a great passage of time. I look forward to a sub- substantial passage of time while listening to the fellas. That, of course, is a brilliant take. It's a takeoff of Kamala Harris's passage of time remarks from last week. It's fantastic. Which we had great fun with. I mean, there really is no one in this White House that you want to put in front of a microphone. Like, no good can come of it. (laughs) No good. No good can come of it. So we have to start, and I think we may have some sound of this, um, with the Oscars. Because if, if nothing else it made the Oscars worth watching for the first time in, I don't know, a generation, right? It hasn't been some since like Tom Hanks was bringing these things left or right before I, since I've been interested in the Oscars. But when you're telling me that you've got two actors that are fist fighting basically on the stage, now I'm intrigued. Now I'm intrigued. So well, we should just play it. We should just play it. G.I. Jane 2 can't wait to see it. All right. <laughs> That was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh Uh-oh. Richard. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name I'm going to, okay? All right. So the only way to talk this through is with our very own Hollywood head. Yes, I'm here and ready. (laughs) Uh, This has, this has, there's so much to be discussed. There is so much to be, there is so much to be discussed. I feel like it's been too long since you've last been I know, it's been way too long. So I was just going to recap really quickly. I know they heard the audio, but I want to recap really quickly. And then get into the get into the meat of it all. Yeah. So basically, Chris Rock took the stage to present the Academy Award for Best Documentary. But before announcing the nominees, he joked to Jada Pinkett Smith, Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. Which, <laughs> Which is a very benign joke. Okay, really. but he was commenting on her shaved head and she suffers from alopecia and has talked about it and the struggle she's had with losing all of her hair over the past several years. So this it's one been hit a, a sensitive It's, it's spot. been a very public thing for her since like 2018. Oddly, I've been following it for hmm. some reason. So anyway, it's but anyway, so it's been a thing for her. So Will first laughed at the joke, but Jada, you could see her rolling her eyes and being none too pleased that right. Chris Rock said that. So then all of a sudden you see Will coming up on stage and slapping Chris Rock. <laughs> 
And then he just returned to his seat and yelled, keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth. Yeah. And Rock obviously was caught off guard, but then continued to present the award. One of the wild things, well, there's many there's, wild it's things. It's so wild. It's but Smith incredible. went on, then he accepted an award for best actor. <laughs> the best part, I was rooting so hard for, for him Richard. to win. I was worried because I was like, look, uh, Oscars, I never watched this, but for some reason I was watching it. And as it was coming down, like now that the whole place is a flutter and like the entire tone had changed, when the best actor thing came up, yeah. I was like, there's no, no right. way. Right. right. I, I want to see another confrontation. I yeah. got to see him back on stage. But then the best, I mean, anybody who watched it, it was a rambling six minute, yeah. slightly incoherent. But he apologized only to the Academy, <laughs> not to Chris Rock. <laughs> and then he. I mean, that's a great point. So like. I mean, I was just like my jaw was down the entire time. I was stunned. This madness is going on. And typically, like it's famous at the Oscars, you have like ten seconds. You say yeah. your thank yous, right. and they start playing that damn music right. and get the hell out of there. They're like, "No, this guy is having a meltdown. <laughs> Let's we need watch to capture it. Let the man keep detail. going." <laughs> I, I, six I actually, minutes. A, fa- I a flair minutes. for the dramatic. I Finally, actually, the Oscars gets it back. I, this dude I is appreciate, crying. I appreciate the fact that he apologized to the Academy, but not to Chris Rock, because it's kind of an alpha move. It's it was like, a total alpha move. It's like if you like beat a guy up in the bar, and then you're like, you know, sorry, sorry you guys had to see that. <laughs> sorry you had to see me do that. It was, you know? also, well, it was also pragmatic so that he doesn't get his oh, right. award taken away. Right, right, Because right. Do you think that's so, an option? Well, so then, okay, so then he... He does his acceptance speech, whatever. He goes to all these all these after parties. Everyone's like chummy chummy with him. Wait, you're kidding me. So no, he just hit the full he circuit. He hit the full afterwards? circuit and there's pictures of him dancing to getting jiggy with it. No. Yes. Back from the nineties. No, yes. Classic. And then P. Diddy has since confirmed that everybody's like, What's his role in this? Oh, he confirmed that Chris Rock and Will Smith like made up. The, the, oh, the they, spoke. So, uh, they spoke. I, I actually saw, uh, just before arriving to the studio, I saw a follow-up on that where insiders say that did not happen. There's no confirmation. Diddy is just saying that. there's That event did not occur. Well, there's Vanity go, Fair is reporting go. that it did not happen. I'm going to go with Diddy. You think Diddy? You yeah. think Diddy? I doubt yeah, it. Yeah, I think he knows, I I think he knows the inside Well, scoop. so on the show, Diddy comes out soon afterwards and is like, we're going to take care of all of this at the yeah, gold party. Yeah, because he's he's uh, he likes to bring people together. Pimping, and that, and pimping his party, too. And that's the, the thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. It's a good hype, man. I, I, I mean, that was like 100% just trying to be like, hey, this is my event. Like, Vanity Fair party's not the only one in, <laughs> Like, in here's town. the thing. I bet it happened at his party. But that's the thing is that Chris Rock didn't go there. He went I, to his buddy's house immediately after he got slapped and stayed there the entire night. You're kidding me. Well, so there's, so maybe there's, P. Diddy lied, but I like to think I like to think more of him. Uh, I mean, I think as little of him as possible. I, he's part of that whole weirdo group to me. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of these weirdos out there. I don't know there. why I love him like, so much. What? Like, Will Smith is crying for six minutes, and everyone's just, like, watching, like, normal meltdown. All right, cool. Well, he, you know, he knows, I think only Diddy, in Hollywood is this, like... Diddy knows how to mediate. Like, this is That's totally normal. Saying. A dude having a you guys remember? How would Diddy know how to mediate? It's like two people were shot on his watch. Yeah. He's he learned. Was, have he's you learned, seen, learned ha, since then. Did you remember that show? Make, was it Making the Band? Yes, yes. And Diddy would have all of these like all young these girls, talents. Yeah. And they would like start pulling each other's hair out and fighting. And then he got to sit them down and be he's like, matured. y'all, I'm shutting down the studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the acad- well, let me just say, so the Academy has come out came out on Monday afternoon saying that they condemned the actions of Mr. Smith and they have started a formal review around the incident and will explore further action and consequences 
in accordance with their bylaws. Well, who the hell's looking to them to do anything? I don't know. Right. But so also, you didn't condemn it. He sat back down, know, enjoyed the rest enjoyed, of the show, and, had and a party. got and had won. a party and got an award. Yes. So you didn't condemn it. And it took them. I mean, their statement came out, you know, four o'clock on Monday afternoon. Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. But so it really, people have really fallen into three different camps: pro slap, <laughs> anti slap. Slap was staged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. There's a couple on the fringe. The slap was staged. I actually, I'm pro-slap. You're pro-slap? I don't condone violence. You're pro-slap? Yeah, you know. Um, I'm surprised to hear that. I know. I know. It's, it's, I really appreciated the fact that he was defending his wife. Look. If, it's if a, a comedy Listen, if a, if, a, if, a, if a comedian is going to comment on how a woman looks they oh. should be ready to get slapped by their husband wow mm. like okay. it wasn't imagine like insert baldness for any other physical characteristic <laughs> like if you or, called her fat or, or something right, or any autoimmune disease that sh- that's what she suffers from that's why she's bald it's not by choice okay yeah someone could catch a slap someone could catch a slap for that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I get that but it did i thought i thought it looked like a stage slap well, so you're in stage, no, stage lap I, No, well, I, I don't know if I actually think that, but just looking at some of the f- the photos and stuff, it looked like a WWE style slap. Well, like, it looked r- like it because Rock's got a chin. Yeah. Chris, yeah. right now, this is, this is to me, the biggest the story. The biggest story no deal. one's talking about. This guy's been in Hollywood for 25, 30 years, at a minimum, maybe more, I right? mean, the guy's 57 years old. Yeah, he's been, he's been around for a long time. And Will Smith's probably got 100 pounds on him. Yeah, like straight up. He he stood his ground. Just took it. And if you look at the slow mo of the thing, when he gets hit, he kind of rocks back. But there's like this picture, this still picture of right when his head's like all the way snapped back, where he's got like a balled up fist. Yeah, like like yep. are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. Right, like he's yep. ready. Yeah. yeah. And so like he's right ready. there, I was like, oh shit, Chris Rock still has it. That's a good point. He was ready to go. Well, and I mean, like, Will Smith p- played Muhammad Ali. That's like, the thing. The is like, yeah. You'd think he'd have tra- trained on how to throw a punch because he did everything wrong. I yeah. think I think he didn't throw a punch on purpose. Though, no, no, right? no. But I mean, oh, like, yeah. so so even so was okay. it wasn't like, you know, when you throw a punch, you try to, like, turn into it on the balls of your feet, get some leverage. <laughs> I like this. He was going, his body was going in the opposite direction of the slap to get as little leverage as possible like it was like a stage that's what i'm saying so so that's what i'm saying and you see that body posture that's what made me think like like it's like in a wwf when they kick someone how they like you know slap their leg at the same time and stomp on the ground to create like you know as much movement and sound as possible with connecting as little as possible i'm not saying it was a fake slap i'm just saying like i am stunned that a dude who trained to be muhammad ali couldn't slap you know, 80 pound, 57 year old I mean, Chris Rock off his feet. <laughs> I think he was just trying to make more of a point than like hurt him. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. I don't think he was. He probably wouldn't want to knock yeah, him out. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think he was like going for the kill. So, but to our knowledge, there's actually been no Chris Rock response. There's so interestingly no Chris Rock response and also no Jada response. Interesting. And so it's kind of like she's at the center of, of all that she hasn't I mean I guess by silence she's siding with her husband defending her honor I don't know but she hasn't said anything and Chris Rock hasn't said anything if what Smug said is true it sounds like he retreated I no. mean if anything I think Jada said a lot way too much like in recent years well what you're referring to of course <laughs> is the fact that they have a very public open marriage so well, not any longer yeah. but they did for a period of time oh so they've closed yeah it's closed, closed. It's, back, it's, back closed. it's closed well she well, admitted to an affair so if it's an affair, then it's a closed marriage, right? 
No, so it was kind of complicated because she basically got found out and then people reported it as an affair and then she came back on her red table talk and was like, it wasn't an affair. Fair. We had an open. Marriage. We have an open marriage. But she didn't want to like disclose that until like everyone was okay with disclosing. How that. do people do that? And, and, then, and how 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 they even like broke this news is I guess does she have like a show on Facebook Live talk. or something. Yeah. yeah. And like she's basically sitting Will Smith down and everybody's <laughs> watching on Facebook Live and she's like, yeah, so you know I was banging this dude. <laughs> oh, oh, and he's God. just like, okay, brutal. But he said it. He said in a GQ like, article what? following up that he perhaps partook in some stuff too but he just didn't, he just didn't really get talk about caught. it yeah, I mean, yeah, right, and he dude. didn't really talk about it i mean these hollywood people are so weird oh, they're such weird they're so people weird. well I that's just, what I'm, I'm not pro slap i'm not anti-slap i'm pro chaos like all these are horrible people put well, them in a yes. room let there be violence <laughs> okay i don't know about that last part but i'm also pro chaos which is why i also supported kanye busting in on taylor swift oh you like, were I, all for like, that. i loved that too also beyonce should have won for single ladies um <laughs> But like I was fine with that interruption as well. I'm 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 for all of it. It makes great entertainment. Yeah. I mean it, it gave so much content to people. The takes online were insane. I mean yeah. it was it was one of the best days I think ever for, for takes. The 24 sure. hours after the slap, best takes. Like so many people <laughs> had completely lost their minds. And Twitter is so good for that. Is like you see who has really gone completely yeah. nuts with their takes, and 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 Twitter is great for that. And then also what Twitter is great for is like. You got these instant video feeds. Like in America, anyone who's watching it live, like, you know, when Will Smith is shouting, keep your, you know, my wife's name out of your mouth, that's all like muted. And then they're like freezing the camera so you don't see what the hell's going on. Meanwhile, overseas, like people posted the the feed from Japan. Oh, yeah. We're like, not only is it showing everything that's going on, someone is translating in Japanese, keep your, you know, my wife's name out of your mouth. <laughs> Which is so awesome. Which is the only way you could see the full thing because I yeah. was watching the sucker live. Don't ask me why. I literally have not watched in 15 years. I'm watching the thing and all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of half watching these things. Mm-hmm. But it's Chris Rock, right? It's kind of, I'm, I'm watching it. But then there's all kinds of, like, I see the slap, which I thought, you know, immediately had to have been staged. But then there's all kinds of cuts. Yeah. And then yeah. they're hitting the 10 second dump at ABC yep. like every five seconds. And I'm like, oh shit, something's going yeah, on. Yeah, something's here. going on. Something's going on. And then, and so then I got on the twits and realized from the Japanese feed what actually happened. And it's un- it was unbelievable. It's just so funny after the fact, too. I mean, it's like Hollywood that puts out literal filth every day <laughs> and tries to corrupt like kids every day. Like has some meltdown because of a slap on stage. Totally. It's like you can just like relax with your pearl clutching Hollywood. And then they show the video of like what happens in the immediate aftermath. It's like all these celebrities rolled over to like Will Smith and were like, hey, I got your back. They were like, uh, the, Denzel the, the, took charge. Dude, his quote was the best. In your highest moments, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. That's yeah. what he said to Will Smith. Yeah. That's, so, a, like, great, that's I mean, a great quote. He's yeah. great. He, like, Denzel's he, like, always great. He's great. And Will Smith in the acceptance speech, he's like, I just slapped a dude and I guess it was all part of God's plan. He's crying. And then talks about how he's here to love people. Yeah. I didn't uh, catch that. I I, I didn't watch. I missed all of this because Pig didn't get nominated and I was really offended by that. And I chose to protest. (laughs) Which, which 
Jada Pinkett Smith protested in 2016, and Chris Chris Rock mocked her. Oh, oh so maybe there's some because some beef. because there's Will beef. didn't get nominated for a concussion. Jada Pinkett Smith was boycotting the Oscars that I'm not quite sure she was invited to, and Chris Rock hammered her on that point. Oh, that's mm. right, that's and, right. I remember the the yeah. point that he said, which you know was a little little lewd. Mm-hmm. I, I felt so. There is a little bit of history there huh. between between this whole crowd and uh, yeah. The all time best tweet of the night, from my opinion, was this guy Nick Watts, who apparently works at Old Row. He said, Jada's going to let Will Smith, Will Smith watch so hard tonight. My God. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> so bad. That is so just, bad. That is just. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, so these bad. are the worst people. Hollywood is but the that's clear what I'm saying. People. That's what I'm saying. Why is anybody shocked that any of this went down? They're all horrible people. Of course it went down. That's uh, what I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I was like, I know this is going to be incredible. Like they, they don't know what to do, and they're like, uh, the 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 response from all these like publicists and stuff was like, yes, you know, uh, what, what what's his name, the guy from uh, 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 the Gaga movie where she's a singer and he's Bradley like, Cooper. Yeah, Bradley Cooper. Like he goes over to comfort. Yeah, Will Smith. Will Smith yeah, like yeah. comfort. Like yeah, this weirdo is like out here crying and slapping people. Like <laughs> you need comforting. <laughs> I need a fucking psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Very odd. Uh, Before we let you go. Yes. Did you see that Pete Davidson got shafted out of the out of the uh, space launch? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He got next. Yeah. Well, apparently they changed the the times or something. I don't know if it didn't work for him, but you recall we we had a warning to the space crew was like, I don't know if you want to send. Pete Davidson up anywhere with anybody. Make sure your wife's not on that. And and there flight. were wives on that flight. And then he got that. Oh, you think that's it? I think we may have stopped something egregious from happening here on the Variety program. Wow. I wonder if this is going to become a trend where it's like you. at any award show, like shit could go down. Like Connie's going to roll up and slap Pete Davidson. Like now you have to have. It's, it's like Jerry so- Springer. You have to have security waiting. At the front, like it's also it could go down. Funny because Kanye got banned from the Oscars for the the verbal violence against oh, Pete man. Davidson, That's Wait, and amazing. then there's actual violence. Really? Yeah, something like that, right? Wasn't he banned? He was banned. Was yeah, he banned from yeah. something, or maybe it was the off, maybe it was the after parties. He was banned for something around the Oscars. I don't know. Now Will Smith, because of, of his Instagram stuff, and which can, can you imagine? Like, I don't know how weird of a guy Will Smith is, but like, can you imagine this morning he wakes up and he like opens his eyes and he sees the Oscar and he's like, oh, it's right, and then he's like, oh shit. His son tweeted. And that's how we do it. Oh, man. No apologies. So, huh? It was the Grammys. Kanye oh, was, was, Grammys. Was, was banned from the Grammys Grammys due to, quote, his concerning online behavior. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> He's wow. always banned from everything, and then everybody else does crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, this one was certainly taking the cake. Listen, yeah. Hollywood Hen, thank you for this update. Yeah. It was, it was delightful. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's get back into the Biden stuff. Um, where this sort of takes off is that Biden had a speech in, on the international stage that he was, you know, supposed to be sort of set amongst a, a significant sort of speak truth to power. What they were trying to do at the White House is make it like a like a Reagan like tear down this wall. Yeah, speech. That's what they were trying to do. And there were, by the way. There were several like parrots in the media who were like, "That's what this was." Yeah, right. You right. can tell that like 
like they scheduled the tweet. Yeah, you right, know? right. They'd right. already like reached out to members, key members of the media, and they're like, "So we're trying to make this a Reagan moment," and 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 they're like, "Yes, okay, master, I will definitely send that out in a tweet." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he has these prepared remarks, which you know, take it for what is well. He was able to read them, uh, but then he's got this this moment that we played at the top, where if we want to play it one more time, it'll it'll provide context for the rest of this. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. So, <laughs> so he's calling for re- regime change in Russia. That is just straight up. That's what he said. So, look, for those of you who don't follow foreign policy closely, presidents always have to be a little circumspect in what they say on the world stage because you have to back it up, right? It's one of the reasons why Obama's red line against Syria was such a catastrophic disaster that we're still paying for for this day. Uh, because it means you lack the resolve to follow through on what you promise. And that's all that foreign policy really is. It's all that it really is. But then further, there's like this maxim that unless you are amidst a world war, you don't call for regime change against a superpower country. Like you could think it, but you don't say, hey, I really would like a coup. Yeah. You know, (laughs) you can't, you just can't do for all the obvious reasons. Right. Right. Because they're probably not going anywhere, but now they've got all of the propaganda that they need to convince their own citizens it's us against the world. Like, like I remember Lindsey Graham just like a week or two ago tweets like, "We got to find someone in Russia to get rid of Putin." Yeah, and then the media just flipped out and they're jumped like, ugly. How dare you call for regime change? And then like Joe Biden's like, "By the way, Putin, <laughs> you gotta go." And the media's like, "Such a Reagan-esque moment. Incredible, outstanding work." So, um. But that wasn't the only, that wasn't his only gaffe. There's a series in the course of this speech and his remarks and stuff where, where he, like, they had to walk a lot back yeah. here. Yeah, so maybe we should just have Peter Ducey lay it out. Yeah. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's getting walked back? It made it sound like, just in the last couple days, uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia, and we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. (laughs) I mean, here's the best part, is like... Number one, Ducey's an incredible journalist because he's the only, like, well, the only person in there doing their job. And it is a, there's a direct quote for every point he made. For all three of those things, there's an exact quote from Biden right. where he called for regime change, an exact quote from him where he said the U.S. would reply with chemical weapons attacks. For all of it, the receipts right. are there. Yeah, right. no. he, he, and he acts like surprised, like he, like he hasn't followed He's the like, news. None of that happened. Of all of his stuff, <laughs> of all of his staff, like having to reach out to the media and be like, clean it up. Right? That's my favorite like, part. Like he's pretending like he's oblivious to that. Like that's actually scarier than the remarks way themselves. Way scarier. Way scarier than the fact that he said this stuff in the first place is the fact that it all of it, all three issues caused international consternation the likes that were the front page of every newspaper in right. every language. Like, of- undoubtedly, allies had to be called. So now, know? Undoubtedly, but he's like, what? So now that what I are think, you talking about? Now that right. I think about it, I have an opinion that's going to be just, like, incredibly unpopular. 
probably controversial. I'm going to say Biden incredible like Chad move of what he's doing. He's like his, he knows I think he's finally becoming aware that his brain is completely gone. He's absolutely <laughs> lost his mind. It's it's like what little is left the brains have already fed on. And he's like I know I'm crazy and I'm insanely old and I don't have the faculties required for this position. I, I'm just going to go out there and say crazy shit, and I don't care if it starts a world war. Like, and poor, let poor, it happen. Poor Peter Ducey has to talk to him in a tone that you would yeah. use for like Grandpa made an outburst at Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, like, it's, like you're, it's like you're explaining your toddler, like, like no, you can't throw your juice on the ground. And he's like, I will. He, the, when he has to reply, when he replies, when Biden says, um, uh, "We didn't walk anything back," and he's like, "Didn't walk anything back." <laughs> Like, like replies back to him with the same thing. It's just incredible to me. He said that if Russia uses chemical weapons, the world would respond in kind. That was his. That's what he said. Right. right? In kind generally means the same thing. Yeah. Generally speaking. So, but no, no, that's not going to happen. And then he he told the U.S. troops that you'll see when you get to Ukraine, like how yeah, how. Straight up. How sturdy the, the Ukrainians are at protecting their homeland. And the troops were like, this is news to us, bro. <laughs> like, what? Wait, we're not going? <laughs> what? So all of this stuff happens. Right. And then and then now today, that's as you just said, Dunks, he's like, none of those things happen. He's like, no. That's what I'm saying. It's like a toddler, let's say, is writing on the wall, and you're like, why? Well, you know, you can't do that. Why did you do that? And the toddler's like, I did it. I didn't do it. Did not happen. The fact that everything's right there, and the toddler's like, no. <laughs> I mean, that's Biden. He's like, I know my brain is just absolute pudding. I'm just no. going to deny it and do whatever the hell I you've want. Co- you've convinced me, Smug. It's actually a Chad move. And, like, like imagine how mad you must be. Like, you know, you're trying to take a nap, and these people are like, no, you have to get up and talk to these people. <laughs> you're, like, asking this guy questions. He's like, I want to sleep or have pudding, and you're, like, hassling me, man. So, like, yeah, didn't happen. I don't care. Start a world war. <laughs> I don't know. We got a problem, said Kamala. Yeah. I mean, just incredible. But you know what? Here's the thing. Their allies in the press start doing the, like, oh, this was aspirational, what he was talking about. It was, you know, who can actually disagree with the regime change? Like, he was being literal, but not fake. I mean, the whole thing was just trying to justify what was actually a pretty dangerous statement. And... Now here we are. He's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, like, you know, there were multiple news reports that NATO allies were reaching out to the White House. Like, this is actually a very big problem. You guys need to fix this now. They're going to be airing that clip. Well, and Russia, Putin's going to be like, this is why we fight. You know, the West wants to kill us and stop us and re- tell us how to run things. This is proof of it. The U.S. president from his own mouth said he's going to get rid of the Russian leader. You know, America wants to take over this country. Yep. I mean, he completely, if anything, that's like the most helpful thing that you could Putin do. has gotten. Yeah. Possibly. Well, look, the good news is we've talked about repeatedly on this program is the American people know what's up. Right. Uh, NBC News, no uh, fan of the conservative, put out a new poll. And I feel like every one of these gets worse and worse and worse. But here's on, on <laughs> this is my favorite. There's a question on the confidence of President Biden over the war in Ukraine. Uh, the first option is a great deal of confidence or some. Great deal or some, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 28. <laughs> very <That's> little. Incredible. <laughs> some some uh, lack of comfort or very little, 71. 71. 71%. So again, 
you've got the entirety of the mainstream corporate media trying to tell people that like this is a good thing and you know he what he's what he's done is what Reagan did and right. everything else and you have 71% of the american people be like bullshit <laughs> i mean nobody's fooled it's 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 just when you step back and look at it it's just absolutely incredible like a guy very clearly has like Alzheimer's. Like, remember when he hurt himself? Because he, this is his story. <laughs> this that was he, his cover story. That he was like, yeah, well, I jumped out of the shower and pulled the dog's tail and fell over. And also, we got to get rid of the dog now, guys. <laughs> right. Like, okay, makes sense. Let's put this guy in charge of the nuclear arsenal. And of course, it, we, he won't cause problems like this. The dog was right? never the same. <laughs> like, the, uh, of course, the people, American people have such little confidence. No confidence. The guy no can't confidence. fight his dog. Like, how's he going to fight Russia? So. So, but the NBC pool poll goes uh, further, and I think this actually proves just a, a ton. Um, first of all, his, his job approval is forty percent, fifty-five disapprove. Recall, he's at a year and a half into this gig, guys. right? I mean, this is like he's not even halfway into his first term. We're talking fifty-five percent disapprove. That's just unheard of. Um, but here's where it really breaks down for him. The top priority for people, 68% said the economy, mm-hmm. 29% said ending the war. Of that 68%, his handling of the economy is 33-63. Yikes. Wow. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That seems to me like... Red wave material. That is about as bad as you're ever going to see. I mean, I've never. first of all, on the economy, I've never seen it. Right. We, we've actually had some horrific poll numbers of presidents in the last 20 years. I don't think I've ever seen 33. I mean, maybe I mean, like financial crisis, maybe, maybe in 08. These, these are all like all these have to be like historical all time lows. Yeah. Like well, and these numbers dropped when? Like Sunday? Sunday. OK. So like now I have a new theory that like uh, the government's got some like MK Ultra program. They like activated Will Smith. They're like. We really got to get this shit out of the headlines. Like, like Biden a, is like trying to start gun with Reggie Jackson. <laughs> you know? We need a distraction. I must slip. Chris Rock. Yeah. Like, they sent Denzel to go whisper something in his ear, and they're like, activate. Like, time to slap. You got to you gotta distract <laughs> these people. So, but here's my... So, Yamish, our, one of our, our very strong contestants in this year's Hack Madness field, was on Meet the Press. And she says... The number that jumped out to me was the fact that 38% of Americans are bl- blaming, blaming Biden's policies for inflation and gas prices, and only six are blaming Russia. <laughs> it's incredible. Oh. They're like, oh, we tried to lie and say it was all Putin's fault, and the people didn't believe us. <laughs> that's surprising. Usually we have no I mean, that's it. That's the take right there. Right. They're like, why Why is there such a loss of faith in journalism? Our, you people are supposed to listen to our propaganda. Our, our gaslighting is not working. <laughs> you love to see it. You love to see it. She must be so pissed. I can't believe the TikTok thing didn't work. Yeah, no. Yeah, it was promising. I mean, you they know? sent TikTok kids out there to push this message. And you'd think, if anything, the TikTok kids could make people believe that Putin is causing. It's probably how they got the 6%, frankly. Incredible. Oh, it's just incredible. So anyway, the guy's in tough shape. Yeah, I mean, so was, to me, what really stuck out is this number right here from the NBC News poll. More than six in 10 Americans say their family income is falling behind the cost of living. Yeah, that's a big six number. Six in 10 man. Americans. That's, that's a six, big number. Over 60% of Americans are saying they they can't make ends meet. That's a that's a 
huge problem. A huge, huge problem. And and it's not like, you know, a very long time ago you had this administration essentially mocking those people when they're like, hey, listen, maybe your Peloton's going to be, you know, Saki's like, yeah. maybe your Peloton's going to be a week or two late. Calm down. Just deal with it. Or, or, or they're pushing the take of like, oh, you know, inflation's transitory. Maybe it's even good. You know, your 4th of July, you might even be able to get some of the food. For yeah, you're going to save a few cents on some hot dogs. Like, that's what gaslighting is. Right. It's gaslighting and it's just being insulting to American people. Six in, Over 6 in 10 saying they can't have their income keep up with the cost of living. That's that's unbelievable. I mean, it might it might be a record in that regard. There were some stats that were put out that, that makes it go through the, the decades. It looks like. I mean, I think 62 is probably about as high as you're ever going to get for a percentage for that in this country, at least in the modern era. I mean, you probably have to go back to the Great Depression to find numbers like that. So, okay, oh, yeah, there, we, have, we have a graphic right here where it shows stats that, like, June 1996, 50% of Americans, you know, made that claim. Now we're at 62, like... Yeah, I mean, every single economic downturn, it, it, it comes up a little bit, but this one is, this one's outrageous. Mm. Just incredible. Well, anyway, um, look, there's another thing that I, I want to hit on because we do some China segments here from time to time. And I think that this gets absolutely zero attention, basically because the Biden administration and Democrats didn't want. Well, they, they led the American people to believe that somehow China was the one that was leading the way on the coronavirus. Yeah, there were actually reporters um, talking about how China got to COVID zero, like like believing at face value the numbers put up by by the CCP, like, which is just stunning, stunning, just stunning, just stunning. But I mean, one of the reasons I'm not as uh, bearish on our capacity versus China as others is because I think this this country has fucked up coronavirus not not just starting it, but every single turn they've figured out a way to make it. Remember, they were welding people into their homes, right? Well, now. China is locking down Shanghai, its biggest city, as Omicron fuels record surge in COVID cases in Shanghai. Um, okay. Well, let's just take this one, one bit at a time. First of all, this is a problem, an economic problem for the world because it's a huge epicenter for the supply chain. A lot of things come out of that area. Like this is going to become a, a, a problem that we can't control again, again. Another great example of why you don't have policies that are entirely reliant on people you aren't, aren't trusted. Yeah, you let you know you let China into the WTO. You give them most favored nation status. You you get the entire world essentially addicted to their cheap manufacturing that often they do with slave labor and end in concentration camps, Uyghurs. And then you're like, oh dear, like how is it that everyone's economy is screwed up? We can't get our cheap stuff anymore. You know, if you become a junkie. For cheap overseas goods, you gut manufacturing in your own country. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But here, here's the ultimate problem. These guys didn't even make a vaccine that worked at yeah. all, right? You yeah. can make an argument about the efficacy of all vaccines one way or another. I happen to think that they worked okay for us. They certainly worked okay for my family. But I can understand arguments on the other side of that. But it pales in comparison to what we've seen in China, which is basically never had any capacity. I mean, we saw the Olympics for crying out loud with empty stadiums. We just had a Super Bowl with like 80,000 people in the seats, everybody having a blast, follow, you know, before bowl season and right. now March Madness. All these things like in this country they're back, right? These guys have never come back. They started the damn thing. They never came back. They're still in the middle of nowhere with this shit. 
I mean, is anybody else surprised? It's not, like, unless you follow this stuff, like I kind of follow it now, you would be shocked to know that China never got over the hump with coronavirus. Yeah. I feel like China's all, like China could be encapsulated in a single image, and that is from the Olympics, where they had the, you know, they were showing the, the big jump, um, yeah. like the huge super slope or whatever they call it. And they, you know, pan the camera out and it looks like a war zone, right. like desolate, right. you know, like just like artificial snow on a slope for the Olympics and the rest of the city looks like it's crumbling. With some sort of industrial piping. Right. Going right. On. That's like when I see that image, that's how I think about China right now. You it, know, I, it, it just it blows me away that there's not more attention on this because we continue to talk about how this superpower is, is going to overtake the United States and the rest of the world. And they are trying to do that through technology primarily. Right. But they really can't get the basics right over there. I mean, this is, this is, if you can't figure out how to get your population to a point where you're not locking down the the biggest city in the world two and a half years after this thing's gone down, I don't know what you're doing. Right. And I follow a bunch of uh, these accounts that like smuggle video and information out from China. And, and over the past month, there's been this huge uptick of like you'd see these, these towns and cities where the Chinese government would send in just like battalions of people in like, you know, head to toe those like virus containment suits, just like dragging people off yeah. to quarantine zones. And also video showing from inside these lockdown cities and towns of the suicide rates are just off the charts. People are just jumping to deaths, being forced to like have no human contact for for months. Some parts of China for over a year. Jeez, it's wild, man. It's well, really well, it's wild. Can I just say, it does seem like the uh, the COVID is is taken off over there. If you look at the numbers and in Europe, and I don't know how closely you guys followed this debate over the omnibus bill that just passed Congress a couple of weeks ago, but there was a proposal for extra funding in case COVID came here again funding for hospitals and just things that America needs to be able to take on another wave of the pandemic. Do you know who blocked it? Democrats. Because the way we were going to pay for the COVID funding was by offsetting the spending with this account. It's $100 billion in state and local funding. Oh, no way. Sitting idle at the Treasury Department, not even earning interest, probably just sitting there. And people in Republicans and some Democrats in Congress were like, why don't we use some of that? If we're going to have another COVID outbreak, why don't we use some of that money to, to help our country, you know, fight the wave? Democrats were like, no, we will not use any of that state and local money that's just sitting there idle to stop another wave this of COVID. This is just, an, that's an outrage beyond all, all outrages. You recall back in 2020, there was a big fight over the state and local piece of, of the funding. And Democrats basically would not pass anything they filibustered covid relief for americans unless they had what they called state and local funding and basically what that is is a slush fund that they send right to blue state governors and blue city mayors right to do with it what they will right which is you know as we found out in certain places like you know washington dc they use the covid funding to build black lives matter boulevard Right. right. Didn't seem COVID related, but, you know, didn't seem COVID related at all. But but there is but there is there are elements of huge distrust, rightfully so, from the conservative side, that if you give these municipalities that are just absolutely psychopaths, these are the same places that are trying to, like, defund police routinely. 
if you give them a bunch of money, they're going to spend it in all the wrong places. Right. Right. But the problem is, is that they gave them so much money, even to spend in the wrong places, that they can't even they spend still them, can't do that. Still can't spend in right. the wrong places. So it just sits at the treasury, as as Ashbrook said. But the Democrats are so committed to this, so committed to their failed constituency, that they won't repurpose it for legitimate needs. Right. It's amazing. Well, because I mean. I think that the end game here, and this is just pure speculation, is they want to release those funds so that the state and local um, governments can use them to like do things like shore up their unfunded pension liabilities, mm-hmm. oh, you know, stuff like that, totally. like all these ridiculous promises that were made um, to the public sector employees that they can't, you know, fulfill now. I think they're going to try to take this COVID money to do it. No question. I mean, that's like such a huge problem for a lot of these like blue cities, blue right. states of like unfunded pension liabilities. Like out in California, CalPERS is, is like, they will play a dice game in the back of an alley for yield. Like, <laughs> they need yield. They need to like, we need to Gotta double perform. our money in a year. <laughs> Put the teacher's pension on black. We really got to have yeah. this one. Yeah. Real. <laughs> um, all right, fellas. So you may not have seen this story. It's from the Washington Examiner. Uh, a man was apprehended by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers with 43 lizards and nine snakes concealed in his pants. Did you guys hear about this? <laughs> Jesus. Now facing criminal charges. Uh, the Examiner reports that uh, 43, I mean, what do you need to know beyond this? This guy, Jose Manuel Perez, is charged with nine counts of smuggling goods Uh, and two counts of wildlife trafficking, one count of conspiracy, according to the charging documents. Perez's sister, a 25-year-old Stephanie Perez, uh, is also charged with conspiracy. Uh, Can I just ask a logistical, like a... a, Mm -hmm. Please. uh, 43 lizards in your pants. Wait, yeah, did anybody see a picture? I mean, are these car? These must be. They must be cargo pants. <laughs> is that a? Is that an iguana? Or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he must be. He must be wearing a tactical pant. I, I mean, I, I don't understand how you it, snakes too. By the way, I don't have no word as to whether these reptiles are poisonous. It's, right. Uh, the, the, the details of this are just completely insane. It says Perez allegedly attempted to smuggle a total of more than seventeen hundred reptiles. <laughs> So, like, he's got 1,700, and he's like, you know what? I'm, I think 40 go in the pants. Like, <laughs> 40 go into the pants. <laughs> the rest in the containers, let's go for the last 40 in the pants. Where are we going? We're out of boxes? All right, in the pants they go. Hey, Stephanie, fill the pants. Like, well, this is <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> I don't – what's the motive? That's the thing I'm not getting I in think here. they sell them. I think there's, like, an illegal animal trade situation going on here. Is this, the is, money must be good. Must be good. If you're putting snakes in your <laughs> I mean, pants, that's a big risk. You're putting snakes in your pants. You're making money. Pant snakes? Yeah. There's. Hey, listen. As you heard it here first on the Ruthless Variety program, there's a big market for pant snakes. <laughs> Imagine. I mean, seventeen hundred. He's like, you know what? Last forty. We're out of boxes. Here, just pass them here. They're going in the pants. You wonder though. You wonder. It's commitment to the trade. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going here. You wonder though if now that this has become a problem, whether TSA has to up its game. On the pants. God, oh my I hope God. to God not. I, I hate that <laughs> that shoe bomber. I hope he burns in hell so much. Like he costs so many problems. You, Holmes Holmes is really proud of the pants snakes jokes. Well, I'm just saying, you know, like at some point you see a snake, you're gonna have to check and make sure that it's a registered snake. Like you're, I, you're saying, you're saying we're gonna be taking our pants down to our knees and sort of waddling through TSA security lines. I already, I already, pay, I already pay all the protection racket fees. I pay TSA pre-check. I pay for clear. Like 
Any way these clowns can make money off of hassling people. I hope to God this doesn't bring it up. Hopefully there's a retina scan that can take care of the pants snake right? thing. It's unbelievable. Uh, where we don't have to get any further. But that is a story that caught my eye. Um, we touched upon this a little bit last week. But did you guys actually see this Washington Post op-ed that was Republicans boast that they have not pulled a Kavanaugh. In fact, they've treated Jackson worse. Yeah. I mean, this is the Washington Post. This isn't just like Daily Coast or something. This right. Is, this is the Washington Post. And and right. It, and it's from the editorial board. This is the position of everybody at the Washington Post on the editorial board. Not just like some lunatic. Yeah. Who this got isn't a guest like column. Jim Rubin trying right. to like get a retweet. This is their entire their entire staff believes this to be true. It's it, you know you've said it previously, Smug. It's like. We are to the point, and I think it's Jesse Kelly who makes this argument, that, like, Democrats in the media just like telling you the sky is green. Yep. Yeah. And saying it with a straight face just to, sh- to prove to you that they can and they'll get away with it. That yep. they'll can and they get away with it. That's exact, 100% right. And they get more and more outrageous every time. Did you guys actually read it? She, it's, it has been the model of composure, which is made all the more impressive by the egregious behavior of some re- on the Republican <laughs> side. Republicans have congratulated themselves for declining to treat Judge Jackson the way Democrats handled the nomination of Kavanaugh, but in fact, they've handled themselves worse. worse. I mean, I just can't. We read Kavanaugh's. We that. read Kavanaugh's high school yearbook. They wanted an investigation into boofing. Yeah, Sheldon Whitehouse said, "I want you to explain to me boof," and Kavanaugh's like, "That's that's farting." Like we are really going through my yearbook talking about flatulence at right. this point but this was worse ask asking a judge why she sen- sentenced child pornographers to light sentences like going through that's, on a black and white fact right on paper here's the guideline here's what you sentence just a record right well, and here's facts. the most charitable thing of the kavanaugh like throw out all of the nonsense about the serial gang rape and all that stuff that became front and center of what the media was prosecuting mm-hmm. him but the initial blazy ford uh, thing that came to light that threw everything into into chaos was about something that happened to him in high school. He was a 55 year old man, right? And they're and they're somehow trying to have the FBI conduct a like a, a reenactment uh-huh. of what happened in the mid 80s right. at a high school party. Right. And what what Jackson did was when she was a judge. She's a judge three months ago, and right, and somehow right. What it's worse. I mean, I it, 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 and, and so you, we went nuts, which, by the way, I'm very, very proud of Thursday's episode. I felt like we really put a lot of lead on the target in terms of pointing out the absurdity of all of this. But but one of the unbelievable things to me about all of it was that the Dem- Democrats and then the media immediately started saying, well, the Republicans are just trying to play to their QAnon constituency, which I was like, you know, surely they're humiliated by even making that. Now, surfaced no. again on Sunday. ABC uh, this week had both John Carl and Donna Brazil talking about how Republicans were focused on playing to that QAnon conspiracy. Are you fucking kidding like, me? Like, facts in front of everyone's eyes. They're trying to say that's a conspiracy theory. Oh. That's made up. Man, just very, very difficult to even process. I mean, look, they're going to have, I guess they're going to have some vote in the Judiciary Committee later this week it's my hope it is really my hope the republicans can see through this will not be bullied by the absurdity 
of what is the the corporate media and the mainstream left at this point and will oppose this nomination with everything they've got. It's just it's completely ridiculous. Um all right. Why do we keep talking? So so this is this is I'm going to bring it up so we don't have to see this on a document. Again. Same. I, I, I've never seen it. What the details of it were. But like, OK. So McDaniel, one of our producers for three straight episodes, <laughs> has dropped in this thing about a Christmas rat. And I've skipped over it three times because for three times I find it less than compelling. Like we always have so much content and it's just like a struggle to get through all the great stuff we want to run through. He's so committed. There's even an image of the, the Christmas rat, like he an ha- artist. Which depiction. looks like a rat. It's a rat. Right? Well, so, he, but he's so committed to this. I think we're going to, I'm sorry that we have to do yep. this. We're, this is so we don't <laughs> talk about the guy. I apologize I'm to done you with this rat. as a listener. <laughs> but I, there's honestly, no I, way to get it off my screen wait, it, unless I talk about this goddamn thing. Was it a big rat? No, was I mean, it a big there, rat? dude, it's just a normal rat. There's like no angle. Okay, well, let's take to take on this rat. But what does it have to do with Christmas? I don't. Let's I, just I it, oh, let's read the yeah, damn. Thing. I'll go through it. It says, "Forget mammoths. These researchers are exploring bringing back the extinct extinct Christmas Island rat." So I guess the name comes from Christmas Island. Mm. It says, uh, "This is from Science Daily." Dinosaurs wedding went extinct 65 million years ago, mammoths 4,000 years ago, and a Christmas on rat 119 years ago. Since becoming a popular concept in the 1990s, de-extinction efforts have focused on grand animals with mythical stature. But now a team of paleogeneticists has turned their attention to Rattus maclaeri, and their findings provide insights into the limitations of de-extinction across all species. After the DNA has been sequenced, as well as possible... And the genome is matched up against the reference genome of the living species. The scientists identify the parts of the genome that don't match up, and in theory, would then use CRISPR technology to gene edit the DNA of the living species to match that Holy of the extinction. Oh my goodness! Shit. The brown rat to Christmas Island rat scenario is particularly good test case because the evolutionary divergence is similar to that of the elephant and the mammoth. Well, so but we learned all about this in Jurassic Park. You know, in the first Jurassic. Wait, Park, you're going to take this on its face? No, 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 no. But remember, in the first Jurassic Park. And they're doing the um, the tour, the video tour. Remember, they're like sitting in like yeah. yep. like a theater almost. Bam, dino, dino DNA. DNA. Perfect. But, but they had to use frog DNA from frogs to. F- and it was a, it was a, a magic frog that could change its, its gender. Right, right, right. But the, and that was like such a stunning s- concept at the time. Remember, everyone was like, "Bullshit." Right. But that's how they filled in the gaps in the <laughs> no, di- in the dino crime. DNA. Yeah. But, but are you so we're saying that it's this is like we're replaying Jurassic Park. I mean, kind of. Yeah. And that, I don't know why you would do this. though. Number I mean, one, I'm against this. I hate this rat. Fuck the rat, dude. Fuck that's my the take. Rat. Fuck Christmas rat. I'm over it. Like I, this is how you. We bring, did it. McDaniel. Listen to it. I hope I you're listening to the show very clearly. The rat <laughs> has been discussed. Listen. We are done with the fucking rat. <laughs> guys, guys on the side. It's, it's actually a nice segue to this next segment. Okay, what do you got? Have you noticed how Democrat cities are just complete hellholes? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah just, just what we need, more rats. Speaking more. of rats. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh. So the LAPD, this is interesting. The LAPD has issued a warning about wearing jewelry in public. Oh, my gosh. Citywide robberies are up 18%. Robberies with a handgun up 44%, according to LAPD. Um, Manhattan... Lost 6.9% of its population in 2021. Wow. <laughs> Most of any U.S. city in the country. Um, and look, I know people who have had a lot of conversations with their family about going downtown for a wide variety of events here in D.C. 
about whether or not, because there's been a massive, I don't know what the stat is, but the increase in carjackings is unbelievable. Well, earlier today in Georgetown, some store apparently had like a dozen people run up and rob it. What's up with that? In Georgetown. What's up with that? I don't understand what the, at this point, you know what's what's happening, right? Like, you know, the people are just sort of like sending 12, 10, 12 people in to try to rob every store. Right. Like that, that's what's going on. So like, let's be prepared, folks, right? I mean- if somebody comes in and starts starting to pocket a bunch of stuff, I say shots fired. Yeah, but shots like, fired. But like, look, we already know what's going on. There is no such thing. And I, fair warning, I put post a sign out out in front of the store that says, "If you come into my store and you try to loot the place, I'm going to shoot you." That's just the way it's going to work. But before the shots ring out, a giant cage falls right in front of the front door. Now you can't leave. You can't now leave. you can't leave. <laughs> that would be great. See, I love that. No, you can't. You're trapped like a rat. <laughs> That's from McDaniel as well. Like a Christmas rat, McDaniel. <laughs> I like that. The, the, the lip take is like, you know, if someone makes fun of your wife's hair, you can have justice on the spot. But it's like, no. You got to defund the police, folks. Right, right. right. Your store. Isn't that hey, a great point? Isn't don't, that a don't great you have, point? Don't you have insurance? Like when, when there was a summer of riots that just burned small businesses across this country, they're like, uh, don't you have insurance? And insurance doesn't cover that. They're like, I have no sympathy for you. Just deal with it. But it's like, hold up, dude. He's talking about his wife's hair. Yeah, yeah, he talked about his wife's hair. <laughs> Violence. <laughs> Total good. Justified. I don't know, man. It's it, But it is becoming a, a major concern. And, and one of two things is going to happen, right? They're either going to allow the police to do their job again, and they're going to and they're going to actually aggressively fight crime, or people are going to take it in their own hands. Because I don't know anybody who's going to open a store with any high-end items that isn't going to protect their stuff. It, it doesn't need to be high end. You see what they're doing to CVS and Walgreens? Every yeah. corner. Yeah. That was like uh, what happened in, in New York City when, when in I think it was the early 80s, crime got so bad. Um, it was when that Charles Bronson film, Death Wish, came out. And it, the first time it played, you know, essentially in Death Wish, he's just like gunning down hippies and other criminals. and you know, <laughs> Hippies and other criminals. It got, a, it got a standing ovation in New York City because people were that sick of crime. And then like, I guess a week or two later... In the subway, you know, yeah, a mugger that, got yeah. shot and no one would report who shot the oh, mugger. They're like, that, no, yeah. man, he finally got it. Like, it's yeah. time to take this. Vigilante back. justice. Got to clean up the streets. <laughs> Listen, I'm not advocating for it. I'm just telling you there's only two ways that it goes down. You know, you clean up the streets through law and order or people are going to start taking it into their own hands. And this is unbelievably. At, first of all, telling people in L.A. that they can't wear jewelry has got to be about as much dangerous as anything in the country. Right. I mean, right. these people are just obsessed with themselves. Yeah. Yes. It, it could be a pretext for Rudy Giuliani coming back to power in New York City. <laughs> All right, fellas, let's get to this interview with Grover Norquist. Uh, I think you'll have fun. I want to welcome to the program a uh, very interesting guy, somebody who I've known for a number of years who's had uh, just a ton of different influence on all kinds of different economic policy that's happened here in Washington, D.C., all for the good, I might add. Uh, we don't always win, but he's always fighting the good fight. Grover Norquist, welcome. Good to be with you. Listen, Grover, uh, first, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you had a hell of a year last year. Um, <laughs> we, we started off facing unconscionable tax increase proposals, uh, tax and spend increase proposals, which, which basically you've made a living out of knocking down over the years, whether they come from always, almost always from liberals, but whether you, you know, sometimes a Republican gets a bad idea too, and you, and you knock those down. 
Um, but last year was a really daunting set of hand of cards and, and you guys got involved and, and boy, I can't believe we got through that. Well, a lot of the fight moved. Well, first of all, we stopped the really bad stuff, uh, the, the build back better, the trillion or two trillion or three trillion dollars in tax increases they were looking at. Now they're trying to sneak something back in, but it's going to be a lot smaller and it may not make it through. But we stopped it all last year, which was not something I would have bet on. Uh, and then at the state at the state level, we had 14 significant income tax cuts. Red states have been going gangbusters. Ten of them have said we're going to uh, a, our plan is to go to zero on the state income tax. And they're moving forward on that. So across the country, the taxpayer movement has gone well. The Republicans have made it clear when they have a majority in a House and Senate and a governorship, they're cutting taxes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's but that's sort of a sea change, right? And something that you've helped bring about over the years, I think. If you look at certainly on the federal side, almost every time you get a unified Republican government, it's it's amongst the first things that people are interested in doing. But that's not always been the case, right? I mean, this has been sort of hard fought over the years. Oh yes, it wasn't it wasn't the case when Ronald Reagan came into office. Right. He was he was the only Reagan Republican here in DC. Yeah. He had a Republican <laughs> he had a Republican Senate, but Bob Dole didn't want tax increases because he was from Kansas, where the Republicans had been in charge since forever. And they were the government uh, and they raised taxes. But now, even in red states, long term red states, uh, we're seeing an understanding that is when you have the opportunity, reduce taxes rather than spend money. And the goal is to phase out the state income tax to zero. There are eight states with no income taxes. Yeah. We're going to add another 10. But you're all doing well, like, right? I mean, you'd think yes, that would, other yes. people would take a clue from that. I think that's one of the reasons we're doing so well. People have realized not only that has, has money and investment and talent moved to Texas, Florida, Tennessee, no income tax states. But now with COVID, everyone realizes many people are going to be free to leave. And when those leases end in cities for office space in Chicago right. and New York and LA, uh, where do they go? Right. <laughs> well, it's been pretty clear. I mean, the migration patterns are are very obvious for anybody who wants to see at Texas and Florida and, and just a whole bunch of states that are their economy is absolutely booming while these high tax liberal states have, have gone nothing but south in terms of population. I imagine revenue as well, which I guess is counter to what they're trying to accomplish. It's also had political benefits. A Republican Party committed to lower taxes, a Republican Party that will never, ever, ever raise your taxes is a Republican Party that gets to govern. Mm -hmm. For the 62 years before 1994, from 32 to 94, the Republican Party had the House and the Senate for all of four years, two years under Truman, two years under Eisenhower. Since 94, which just happens to be the year where 98% of all the Republicans in the House and Senate uh, took the pledge that we share with people, the no tax increase pledge, and and kept it ever since. And since 94, the Republicans have held the House and the Senate more than half the time. So by being the party and keeping their word, we're the party that will not raise your taxes. We may invade small countries we can't pronounce and <laughs> lose Congress from, from time to time. But but step one, stay with us here. We're never going to raise your taxes. Okay, And right. that gives us the, the power, the right, to govern Washington, D.C. half the time instead of one out of every 15 years. We weren't even on the playing field yep. from 32 to 94. 
Well, so for those of, of us in our audience who aren't familiar with your work, um, I obviously clearly am and have been following you closely since I've been involved. But, you know, how did you how did you get in this? You mentioned the pledge. This is the Americans for Tax Reform, which has really been sort of the cornerstone in the fight against higher taxes, basically, since your inception. Um, and there's a pledge that you have all candidates sign. But, but take us back to sort of the origins and how you get involved in all of this and how you've made this kind of the mission of your career. Sure. I got out of college and was given an opportunity from a friend of a friend uh, to be the number two guy at the National Taxpayers Union, which at the time was the only taxpayer group nationally in the United States. Then I went back to business school, got out of business school, and decided that taxes really were the dividing point as to whether the country is going to go in one direction or another. We're going to have bigger government, we're going to have more freedom, and we need to focus on holding taxes down. So I worked in that zone a number of different places, but in 1985, uh, Reagan put together, Ronald Reagan put together Americans for Tax Reform. The White House put together a group to push for their Tax Reform Act of 1986. And they asked me to run it. So they gave me a board of directors and a bunch of money and said, please go help pass this bill. And what I found that worked was conservatives worried that if you got rid of deductions and credits, that rates would drift back up again. So I came up with the idea of a written pledge. It's like one sentence. I promise not to raise taxes. and that you could do tax reform. You could raise one tax, cut another, get rid of deductions, lower rates, <clears throat> but no net tax increase. We had 100 congressmen and 20 senators that year to sign the pledge, which then locked in. Everybody knew they could never turn the tax, the tax reform bill into a tax hike. Reagan made that commitment. And then ever since, we've gotten more and more Republicans in the House and the Senate. And now we're doing much better at the state legislative level. And I think you'll see dominance for the Republicans at the state legislative level, when in a state they convince people that at the Republicans at the national level will never raise your taxes. There still are some Republican states that raise gas taxes or things every once in a while because Chamber of Commerce tells them to, but they don't get to stay in power as what's just the guys who say, we may raise your gas taxes, but at the same time, we're going to cut the income tax. So it's a net tax cut. Right. You can move priorities, but you can't raise total taxes. So that. The Americans for Tax Reform and the pledge became sort of central to how people could articulate, I am never going to raise your taxes. And you can believe me, because the one guy who got elected president and lied about this was George Herbert Walker Bush, right. who, with a very successful presidency, kicked Iraq out of uh, Kuwait without sticking around for two generations to watch things. And then we, he, Watched the Soviet Union broke. You know, the Soviet Union broke into fifteen pieces without a lot of blood on the floor. Uh, very successful presidency, except for one thing: he raised taxes and he lost. Yeah, and that taught Republicans: take the pledge, win the primary; take the pledge, win the general; keep the pledge, get reelected. Yeah, no, it, it, it's become so clear, right? And I guess you know, twenty, thirty years removed from the beginning of this, it's it must seem like just an entirely different playing field from the one that you jumped in on, because I guess every once in a while you get uh, some wise guy who wants to figure out a, a, an interesting sort of Rube Goldberg dynamic way of increasing taxes on the American people. But every time I've ever seen it happen, I've seen you and your group jump in the middle of it. It, it is funny. People hide, hide. It's called hide the tax. We have this new program and it's going to do this and that. And, uh, but then you unwrap it and there's a tax increase that falls apart. Uh, Rick Scott, the former governor for eight years of Florida, now senator, told me that by taking the pledge as a governor, it was his biggest time saver. 
because originally the beginning people would come to him with all these plans these rube goldberg things you're exactly right that that they, they it's like leisure demand that the, the three walnuts with p underneath them you know, they, they hide the tax increase when you make them turn them over and say is there a tax increase like, well there is well then it's not happening people stopped bothering rick scott with their ideas <laughs> well it certainly does save a lot of time but it doesn't stop the efforts and uh i know that you you were just discussing how you've expanded this out into all of the states uh it must just take a ton of bandwidth because look there's no efforts in it, it, that are won't be front and center for liberals and blue states to try to figure out how to raise revenue and raise taxes on the american people uh you all keep an eye on all that absolutely and, and you're quite right look liberals trying to get tax increases are like teenage boys on a prom date. They keep asking the same question in different ways. And what you, it doesn't do any good to go, no, no, yes. Okay, that defeats the purpose of the whole thing. You have to go, no, 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 no. Right. And that's what takes a certain amount of fortitude is <laughs> they keep coming back. You know, cool hand Luke, they keep coming back. And <laughs> you know, gotta say no. Um, so one of the things that's helped is that we developed uh, in Washington, a Wednesday meeting, yeah. uh, which started with 20 people and is now about 100 plus. And it's the broad center right. It's the six, it's the groups and structures that, it, that represent 60% of the American people, that everybody who voted for Reagan and wondered if they were the right age. So you have people who worry about taxes and spending and business groups and uh, pro-life groups and Second Amendment community and people who do homeschooling and, and uh, the freedom of religion, uh, all religious groups that work on freedom of religion. So look, if you want to, if, if on your vote moving issue, what you want is to be left alone, leave my guns alone, my kids alone, my money alone, my house alone, my freedom of religion alone. Okay. If what you want is to be left alone on your key issue, you're in. You're That's your spot. Yeah. yeah. And well, this has become, this, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to ask about it. Um, this has become sort of a, a an institution on the right. And as you mentioned, anybody that's that's sort of interested in, pushing conservative policy or center-right policies in general, this is this is like a must-stop. This Wednesday group is a must-stop. You got to get in there and you got to make your case. And it's become sort of a forum for all of the sort of thought leaders on the, on the center-right. And this has been going on. This has been going on a long time, right, Grover? Since 1993. And yeah. we started it thinking we were just going to stop Hillary Care when Bill Clinton wanted the government to come out, take over healthcare back then. And we realized that to stop that, you had to slow everything down. So the gun people came in and the freedom of religion people came in, the social groups come in and everybody in the in the center-right, the Reagan Republican coalition came in and making sure that everybody in the movement knows what everybody else is doing is extremely helpful. One, the other issue is gonna take up time in the House or the Senate or in people's minds. So you have to be aware of it. And two, there are all sorts of ways to work together that you think of and become second nature after a while. And the meeting's been going on since 93. And we've, for the last 20 years, have been organizing in the state. So 44 states have a center-right meeting. Uh, Florida has four of them, uh, and we'll soon have six. Uh, so we have a lot of second cities now, not just the capital city, but um, uh, Austin and then Dallas. Uh, right. So those second cities are very helpful. And it's through those structures that we've been able to also help move the pledge. About a quarter of Republicans in the state legislators take the pledge, but uh, we're now setting up a caucus inside every 
body, the House and Senate, of people who've taken the pledge. And that is quickly increasing the number of people who oh, see the pledge and, and take it. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. There's nothing that gives you uh, a little bit of push in the right direction like the rest of your colleagues, right? <laughs> it's just, uh, but, probably a good place to start. When a peer says to you, I've taken the pledge. I didn't die. The establishment press wasn't able to crucify me. In fact, people like it. Um, and that helps a lot. Yeah, I, I remember the days when you were sort of the, the boogeyman. It seems quaint now, right? I mean, with all the boogeymen that we have out there. But I mean, I would say 10, 15 years ago, Grover, you were like public enemy number one of the left. And this here was this guy who held hostage all of these conservatives from doing what they should be doing, which is raising taxes. And I remember you fighting back. You can sort of fought back in their own forums, right? I mean, you went on mainstream media and talked about it. But what I thought was so interesting and continues to be the case with you is that you would think that somebody with with your sort of organizational skills, pushing the issues that you would be that you're pushing would be some kind of a stiff. And it's not at all the case. You've got a lot of personality. You got a lot of interests. You actually have a way of framing things a little bit better than than the average liberal would imagine you to be, which I think is part of your success here. Well, I, I did go to speak. The, the, the hard left uh, reporters ha- had a meeting. They tried to sort of form something like our Wednesday meeting, but it, it went for a while. And they invited me as their fourth guest to have lunch with them after that. The, the lead Senate Democrat in the House and the Senate and and. Somebody wrote it up from the bill and they said, well, you know, Grover does all this organizing and, and, but surprisingly, he, he wasn't the demon we were expecting. <laughs> and he said, he said, I, I suppose if you're trying to organize a political movement, it does help not to be an asshole. <laughs> it's super inconvenient for them though. You have to admit that. <laughs> there, there is an unhappiness somehow that, that they can't quite swing a punch they want to punch, throw or throw the, throw the punch they want to. From. Yeah, no, um, it's it, it, absolutely the case. And you've done amazing work through the years. What What's next on the horizon? You got something that's sort of in your sights here beyond all the work in the state legislature? Uh, yes. Put in the PRO Act, which is what the legislation oh, yes. the Democrats yes. came up with, with every idea to empower union bosses against workers and consumers. And they just put a pile of it together. And I thought the more hard left pro-union laws that were put together, the less support it would have. In point of fact, it got more support. It was seen as increasingly inevitable. And every single Democrat in the House has voted for it. And I think every Democrat is also committed to it. It's just that it takes 60 votes to do it because of the filibuster. Um, But if they ever get their 60 votes, this is what they pass. And so what we're putting together is the same thing for small businesses, entrepreneurs, um, pro-growth, freedom of for, for workers, it'd make it easier to be an um, independent contractor, to be part of the gig economy, and just put the whole pile together. So we're going all the trade associations that work with small and growing businesses. What's the biggest thing that gets you in your way? Do you have a bill on that? Okay, we'll put it in the pile. And we, then, because I started talking to congressmen and senators about it, they said, that's a great idea, and I'd like to do that. And then, but they Nobody don't know how to, to put it, it together. Yeah. So I mean, I'm going to put it together and go back to them and look to see who would like oh, it's a great it. idea. That's a really great idea. I think the one thing that we've not done a terrific job in over the last 20 years is that kind of sort of ambition, right? It's it's not enough to just sort of look at things as, oh, you know, are they going to get 60 votes or not? But like you said, with the PRO Act, which is just an abject disaster, the fact that 
it actually courted more liberals to support it because of the various constituencies that were involved. I think that's probably a pretty good recipe for the conservative side. Yeah, I think I think this should work. I, I get a lot of good support from members. Oh, that's going to be a great idea. Um, but then somebody has to do the work and put it together. So, so here you <laughs> I, are. I volunteered. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Come, come, All right, Trevor, I've got three questions for you that we asked every guest. And I'm actually very, right, dear. Curious, very curious about your responses to these because, you, like I said, you do have a little personality. But the first one is your last meal on earth. If you could plan it, what would it be? Strict nine. <laughs> you just ensure it. <laughs> you don't you, you don't want to take chances on this stuff. <laughs> so if you're staring the end, it's going to be on your terms. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> it's the first the first poison answer we've had. For this. That's very, very good. All right. So uh, second question. If you never got into this line of work, um, what do you think you'd do with your life? If I got out of it? Now, no, it's like if it never existed in the first place, right? Blue sky. Oh, this oh, thing. oh, oh, oh. If I, if, what would I do other than what I'm doing? Yeah. Wow. That is a tough question because I can't imagine what that would possibly be. Um, uh, the, I've been going to Burning Man for some time. Yeah. And I think looking to franchise Burning Man in the sense of, it, which is what, I mean, there are Burning Man in other countries, working on that, building some of those out. Um, trying to be supportive of that effort. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the uh, annual festival and the festivals and, and trying to help out uh, over the last dozen years or so. That's great. That's a good answer. I like that a lot. Um, all right. Third, final question. Or, or maybe warden in a women's prison. <laughs> I don't it's even know where to, I don't even know what to just do with a, that. Just a thought. <laughs> okay maybe not maybe right. not well there are plenty of reforms i think that would probably be undergone uh appreciate that one Grover. um all right third and final question if i can get it out uh if it, the way we look at what motivates people is we put it on two poles it's either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and like nobody ever likes to lose so that's not the way you look at it the, the way you look at it is the thrill of victory are people who genuinely get into things because they're, they're optimists and they think they can accomplish something. They're rewarded internally by constantly charging up that hill. The agony of defeat people are the people who appreciate every victory they've had for about 15 seconds and wear every defeat for, the, for a lifetime, like vowing never, ever to repeat it, right? And that's what drives them and motivates them. Grover Norquist, where do you find yourself on this spectrum? On the optimistic side, I mean, it's the, one of the reasons I'm optimistic about where the center-right movement is going in the country is that I intend to, to be part of taking it there. <laughs> but yeah. I, I see this happening. We've had some successes in the past, and there are you know, a number of things I'd like to do that I think would dramatically move the ball uh, forward. Uh, and the, the sense that having worked with a lot of really, really good people, I mean, it's a whole network of center-right activists and people who run the center-right meetings and uh, the folks in the DC meeting and so on, and the staff of Americans for tax reform, yeah. the, the quality and the, of the people and our ability to move things forward. Um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about the future because 
our, we have the advantage that our ideas work and their ideas fail, which is why we can start our, our ideas at the state level, win in two, three, four, 10 states, and then take it nationally. The other team has ideas that if you tried it in Vermont first, Vermont would sink. Yeah. Uh, and then everyone would go, never do that. With like single payer, which the passed in Vermont, and Great then they point. repeal before yeah. anybody looked at it. So federalism allows center-right ideas to flourish. We just have to use what the founders gave us. What a great point. That is absolutely excellent. Listen, Grover, you have been a hub for the spokes of conservatism in Washington, D.C. for a long time. I'm glad you're doing your work in the state legislatures throughout the country because you're making a difference and always have and really appreciate your leadership on that. Hey, join us again. Keep us updated on what you're working on, will you? I would love to. And congratulations on the success of this podcast. Thanks. Humor, so- humor, humor helps. Humor helps a little bit. Humor helps a little bit. And we'll think about that when we're thinking about being a warden at a women's prison. So we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Grover. Have a good day. So Grover, uh, OG, like he obviously takes his, his business very, very seriously. And he's done a lot of good for taxpayers over the years. Uh, but he's got, he certainly has got a little personality to him, doesn't he? Yeah, the Burning Man stuff in particular. You know, I wish I had more time to get into that. I probably should have surfaced that at the very beginning. I'd love to know the origin of how he got into Burning Man. There must have been some life changing experience there, like an acid trip or something. Yeah, yeah, something. yeah. Yeah, I think he may be responsible for the Sonoran toad. Uh, yeah, that's right. Lick issue. the toad. Yeah. Well, it just strips, of ego. strips the ego. It does. Uh, anyway, a, a great interview. Fascinating. Interested to hear his reforms on uh, prison life uh, as well. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, I think we did it. We did it. Absolutely. Another banger of an episode, gentlemen. And we even had Hollywood Hen give us an update. So, you know, outstanding work. Thank you so much to our listeners. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.